Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-hosts and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is a day at the yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. We're at episode 214 right now. We've got a great guest today. I wish everybody could hear the Wiley and Will banter before the show because it's just as golden as the shows we produce with the conversations we have. But before we get going, I'll let uh, Mark and Will just say hello. Welcome back to your, welcome back to your show. Great to be back. Yeah. Thanks, Always Dave. I'm excited about having Ricky yeah. on. Great yep. guest today. And uh, before we get, get to the intro with our guest, just want a quick note to our audience. We're up to 19,600 subscribers now. Make sure you guys continue to download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. The rate and review helps us battle the analytics of the podcast world, just like we do in baseball. If you do that, we can keep providing you great content like we do on every week here on the Day at the Yard. Get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. If you hit me up on Facebook, I will get back to one person live every day. I'll get back to everybody privately. We have close to 550 questions that I have to get back to by the end of the day today. So very active audience. We're in 72 countries now, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. So we got the ear of the right people. We're just trying to build better baseball IQ out there. And at the request of our loyal listeners, this is a message that they subscribe to me for our new listeners. Just prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths about baseball, sometimes life on this show, as this program, like all of our programs, just has no time for comforting lies out there. We're going to hit you straight between the eyes like Wiley and Will do every week. And with that, Mark, will let you introduce our special guest today. Yeah, we're really excited about having Ricky Horton on. Um, <clears throat> Ricky grew up in, uh, I guess, Poughkeepsie, New York, went to Roosevelt High School in Hyde Park, uh, attended college at the University of Virginia, is married to Anne, and lives in St. Louis full-time. Uh, playing career in 1980, he was with, he drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals in the fourth round, and that started his career four years later. And in, until 1987, he was with the Cardinals in the major leagues, 88, the White Sox and Dodgers, 89, the Dodgers and Cardinals back to the Cardinals. And then in, 18, in 1990, he was with the Cardinals for the year. That was his last year playing. Um, had a time when actually I was in the uh, Cleveland Indians organization at the time, and Ricky was a kind of a minor league pitching coach, and uh, Will will be able to fill you in on their connection uh, we were all with the Indians at that time. Uh, Ricky started his broadcast career in 1987, and from then till 2002 was uh, on FSN Midwest Radio Broadcast and the Cardinals rod, uh, Radio Network. In 2003 to 2021 was the FSN Midwest Television three-man broadcast to, crew for the Cardinals, and in 2022 as a color man till now, uh, color commentary for KMOX. Um, uh, he, he performed in the World Series three times, uh, 1985 with the Cardinals against Kansas City, uh, in 87, uh, Cardinals against the Minnesota Twins. Unfortunately, they didn't win either one of those, but they had some unbelievable series. And uh, in 1988, uh, got his, his World Series ring with the Dodgers versus Oakland. Um, if you remember, that's the Kurt Gibson uh, home run to win the first game, a very exciting. Uh, uh, they were underdogs and they swept the Oakland A's. Um, as far as some awards, Ricky's won in 2008. He was national sportsman, uh, won the national sportsman award in 2011. 
Mid-American Emmy Award for Sports Broadcasting in 2014, inducted into the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame. I've got a little side note here, and we talked a little bit about it before we got on air. Um, Ricky appeared in the movie Field of Dreams. He was on the television, and uh, Ray Kinsella's daughter was watching TV, and, and Ricky was pitching for the White Sox on the TV. Just a side note. Uh, so, so we'll just say you starred in Field of Dreams, <laughs> and then in, uh, and uh, and one of the most important roles you filled was in you were named in 1993 the director of the St. Louis Fellowship for Christian Athletes, and uh, I kind of wanted to start our questioning with that. Is that you give us a little background on how you got into the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and you know what their goals are and what some of the things that the the Fellowship of Christian Athletes does. I'd be glad to do that. And good to be with you guys too. And, uh, you know, it seems like, uh, well, it was a lot of yesterdays ago when we were all together with the Indians, but, you know, baseball uh, keeps uh, keeps friends alive. It's just amazing how we have this great connection. Uh, But the Fellowship of Christian Athletes was kind of a heartbeat for me when I was playing because it was a combination of, of, uh, how I would explore my faith in, in, in light of being an athlete and being wired to be an athlete. When you're wired to be an athlete, I'm not saying you're, you're certainly not better than anybody else, but there's a difference. You, you kind of just think a certain way. We all kind of have the same mindset, but trying to understand competition, winning, losing, hard work, being a teammate, all those things in light of kind of my faith. That's why FCA was just a natural thing for me. And then uh, I, I ran the St. Louis office and we, we grew from, from four staff to currently we're at 17. I'm still connected with them, do some work with them, uh, but have uh, passed on the leadership to a guy that I hired 20 years ago. And uh, it's been a labor of love for me, just providing athletes, mostly high school athletes uh, with at some college and, and some on the pro level too, I was the chaplain for the Cardinals for four or five years in in that mix there, uh, and just trying to help guys see a bigger picture and and young ladies too, of course, uh, see a bigger picture of what their life is really all about beyond just this athletic gift that they've been given. That's awesome, Rick. It's well put, Rick. It's it's so it's so important to see the whole picture. Yeah, and, you know, we get so focused on our careers and. And the ups and downs of it, you know, we forget that there's there's help uh, and a, and a, a bigger picture um, uh, that we can draw on. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent true. And you know, l- l- competing is uh, you know you're laying yourself on the line when you're competing. And if you believe as an athlete that you are the sum total of how you did that day, uh, then your life is going to be topsy turvy. If you if you don't have a, 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 a an understanding that you are you have value, have meaning, you have importance just based on, you know, how you were created and, and that, and that people care about you. And beyond that, I mean, it's, it can be, you know, devastating to people and everybody's going to be an ex player. All three of us are ex players. And, you know, you, you, you don't want to be an ex player. You want to play as long as you can, but if your value is only in that, you're ultimately going to lose value. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well put. I, uh, you know, Rick, it's funny, you know, we were talking prior to the show about relationships and friends that we had. And then I forgot that you were on the 88 team. I talked to one of your teammates on the Dodgers and one of my teammates, an original Oriole, who was probably a big teammate in baseball chapel, John Shelby. We talked for for two hours when I was driving the dorm last week. And it was like, we never 
we never left Bluefield, West Virginia, and we were laughing at each level we went went to. But what a strong man of faith who just epitomizes uh, people that I know. I, I love being around in the game. T-Bone is one of my favorite teammates ever and just a classy guy. I, I, I want to dovetail what you just said with uh, with part of Mark's introduction about me being in the movie Field of Dreams, which 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 is very cool, by the way. I've gotten a lot of mileage out of that, my my four seconds of fame. Uh, and But, you know, it, it's, it's a little humbling if you actually listen to that part of the movie, and it's about 19 minutes and 57 seconds in, in case you're wondering, when I'm on this screen and 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 – you can hear if you listen closely to the broadcaster in the background saying that's the sixth straight hit given up by the veteran Southpaw. So, so it's kind of like a good thing, but it's also humbling. <laughs> and the game humbles you. So we're actually in Montreal with the Dodgers in, uh, I guess it was, uh, I guess it was 89 because the movie was filmed in 88 and, and I didn't have any idea that I was going to be, have a little clip in this movie. Then no one asked me. So it's it just kind of a, kind of a standard clip I guess they got from MLB but we're in the clubhouse in Montreal and Rick Dempsey comes into the uh, clubhouse and he says hey I just went to see the movie Field of Dreams and you're in it so when a guy like Rick Dempsey says something you turn your back and you wonder okay they're setting me up I mean I had I didn't believe him for one minute not one it's like uh oh I'm gonna get had here they're gonna make fun of me something's gonna happen you know the older guy is just being a trickster here and then the next guy that walked in was John Shelby and he said hey Rick you're in the movie. And I said, okay, I must be. Because <laughs> if John yeah, Chelsea does yeah. it, it must be right. true. That's right. If T-Bone said it, I trust them. Dem- That's no, right. me, and Mark, me and Mark also know Dempsey. We knew, <laughs> you oh, know yeah, I grew up with Dempsey. We came up together. Yeah, I and- figure. It, practical jokers. In the, you know, honestly, characters in baseball, don't we love those? I mean, guys that just have a personality. We don't all have to be the same person. How boring would that be? No. Oh. No, it's it's uh, he's he's a character. I coached with him. I played with him. Um, it, it's a, we go all the way back to my first year in pro ball. Mm. Uh, so I guess I've known him for like fifty four years now. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you know, I, I you know you've seen so much of the game through the eyes of a broadcaster, and you know I always wonder, you know you know, good and bad changes to the game and, yeah. and, and how you see that and things that you'd like to see kind of return the way they used to be and, and things that you kind of, uh, you enjoy now. Well, yeah. So there's, there's a lot to unpack with that Mark, And, and I'll, you know, it's pretty fresh in my mind because I just sat through two Cardinal games where two days in a row, the Cardinals walked eight batters and, and so, and, and not that that's never happened in the history of the game before. It happened in 1910 and 20. And th- I mean, whatever. It's always been a thing. But I, I just see too much in the terms of pitching, particularly. I see an awful lot of uh, all or nothing pitches thrown to get maximum spin and maximum velocity. And location is not really emphasized as much. Or, or whether they can or can't do it maybe is a different question or even want to do it or are trained to do it. I think they're more concerned about um, what the analytics of that pitch looks like as opposed to the result of that pitch. The result ultimately has to be outs. And, and I, I mean, I don't care. I mean, I, I noticed uh, early on, uh, Rudy Sienez is a guy you guys know. Yeah. And yeah. I was yeah. in double A. Actually, Will was there. Yeah. Yet, it's the first time I ever saw a uh, a, a gun in the dugout 
And Rudy Sinez pitched in a game in Canton, Ohio, and he threw, threw 100 miles an hour. And he gave up three runs in the inning that he pitched. And he came in. Everybody's patting him on the back because he threw 100 miles an hour. And I'm saying, wait a minute. The dude just gave up three runs. And, and so I was like the guy that just, I don't get this. I mean, yes, he had a great arm. And I love Rudy, too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, a good, a good guy got along with him great and saw him with the Dodgers and he had a he had a nice career but the point is we have emphasized the minors we're not we're not majoring in the majors we're 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 majoring in the minors i think when it comes to pitching because the bottom line of it is is getting guys out and and you know to see that the cardinals threw over um, close to 200 pitches yesterday in a game and I just I can't believe that you know if you're in the major leagues that that the, the, the command that we saw is is it's not acceptable it just isn't and so that that's one thing from a pitching pan, uh, point that really bothers me and then and I also see the the reality uh, and you guys see it is you know there are 13 pitchers in big league team Too and much. that means you've got eight relievers and it seems like every day you're still strapped to find somebody who's able to throw and that I just don't get that I don't understand why. Players can't be conditioned in a different way. Pitchers can't be conditioned different differently to throw four times a week. It just seems like it's, you know, and I understand you have possibilities of injuries, but those possibilities are coming because you have too many pitches that are thrown max, max effort. effort. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Greg Maddox used to say, and, and I heard Smoltzy say it, so many guys said it, you know, if, if you're pitching correctly, and I would adhere to this, every pitch you throw is about 90% as hard as you can throw it. Now that's hard to judge what that is, but when you're in ninety percent, that's when you get in the rhythm and the flow, and the movement matches the velocity and and is in kind of proper sync with that. And if you throw the ball as hard as you can, um, no wonder guys get hurt. No wonder guys can't throw every day. Well, that's why I always teach you. You know, it's it's the uh, controlled effort. Yes. You know, it's whatever your best command is. That's the effort you use. You yeah. don't go over that. I mean, you can go. Um, you can go 100 miles an hour in anything, and you're never going to be as efficient. Right? Yeah, you know because that you that's why you know and you've described what we talk about often on this show is is feel. You see very few pitchers that have any feel. Right. You know they don't have time because they're thinking about creating maximum stuff. They don't have a time to evaluate a hitter and see what the guy's doing. So they don't. They don't. They don't. Uh, get they don't understand the value of command as much as we talk about command which pitching has always been talked about command and changing speeds the value of that has gone almost to nothing to today's pitchers for me yeah they don't under, they don't understand it we try to teach it we try to put them in scenarios and instructional leagues and in spring training and anytime we're doing workouts with pitchers we put them through this to teach them the value of it. We show them videos of the value of changing speeds and pitching inside and commanding the ball and how you move the plate. We teach them all that stuff. They get in a game and it's grip it and rip it. It's unbelievable. It's just, and I I think there's not enough people that hold people accountable, even back when you're growing up. When you go through Little League, yeah, you know, I heard those things when I was in Little League all the way through high school into college and then in pro ball in the minor leagues. And we talked about a guy like Johnny Goral. Um, those are the, the teachers that taught us what was acceptable and taught us how to be accountable. No doubt. You know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out at the ballpark every day at the minor league level for the last two months now. 
And, you know, pitching coaches don't work with pitchers. They sit with an iPad and they either have the, the, the rap soto or whatever all set up and they're looking at the finished product, but they never build the foundation that gives you consistency to have command and the finished product will take care of itself. Right. So like you see these bad deliveries where guys are out of control, flying off the rubber. They None of them can field their position because they all fall off to whatever side, right or left whether they're right or left-handed. And it's just, it, it, and then the other thing is as an industry, what we're doing is not working. Like you just said, Rick, we have more injuries now than we've ever had. So having eight relievers and having 18 pitchers at the minor league level is not working. So I don't know why we, we don't look ourselves in the mirror and try to fix what's going wrong right now. It, it, well, all, you know, we all have our uh, have our own experiences to bring to bear on this, and you know, I, and and you know, mine's no more no more important than anybody else's, but it is mine. So I, I look back on the minor leagues when Mark Riggins was a teammate of mine, and he shot, taught me how to hold the ball a little bit off center to get it to sink. And then Jody Davis was uh, on a rehab assignment with us, and he said, "Here, hold the ball on this side, and you can make it kind of." And and it was a cutter. I didn't call it. We didn't call it a cutter, but that's what I was throwing just to make the ball go left and right. And Dyer Miller helped me with that. And we had a pitcher come down, Buddy Schultz from AAA. And I had I had like ten strikeouts in a game in AA. And he says he says you're gonna you're gonna tire yourself out. He said until you learn that you don't need to strike somebody out. You can't strike somebody out till you get two strikes on them, which is a simple thing to say, but it was so important to me because I realized that I was being a little too max effort trying to get a swing and miss on every pitch. And then I adjusted and it helped me big time. So all of those moments working out and, 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 and Mark, you said, no one have a feel. Well, if you don't have a feel, how in the world do you make an adjustment? You know, the, the adjustment comes off the field. If the feel isn't right. Then, okay, I'm missing outside. What does that mean? Ball's not sinking. What does that mean? Okay. My adjustment is more finger pressure on, on this finger than that one. All those things are just intuitive when you're trained that way. But I, but I I'm not sure that's fully there. We we had a guy in the Cardinals organization in Double A. His name was uh, Connor. I have to think of his last name. He was he was from um, from University of Virginia, so that's how we kind of connected. We had that in common. And he, and he started out in Double A, and he was just getting kind of hammered. Just didn't wasn't pitching well. And and we said he said you know I'm really struggling because I don't know what pitch to throw. And he's and I said what do you mean you know you know, smart dude you know pitched at UVA was in a College World Series. And he said, well, I have always had my pitches called for me from high school to travel ball to UVA. And, and, and now I'm pitching in double A at 23. And I don't know how to throw what I want to throw. And it, and it seems like such a shame to me because, you know, you learn through that failure. How do you get feel unless it's unless it's unless it's you doing it? You know, you can throw a bunch of numbers at people, Mark, like you were talking about and all the, the analytics. To me, it's a little bit like throwing calculus at a guy that's trying to learn how to add, yeah. you know, I, w- w- how much retention really happens when, when you give all of this information. And by the way, I don't care about the information about the hitter. I care about me doing what I do. Well, I don't care what he does. Well, I, yeah, I care a little bit. I want to know his hot zone. That's enough. Stop talking. Now, now I'm going to do what I do to get people out. And if he's making an adjustment, then I'll make an adjustment on him. But I don't want I don't want 
10 pages of information about the hitter at the plate. I care about what I'm doing. Exactly. Well, you know, this is, this is one of the things you're exactly right, because when I was with the Rockies and I was running the, the pitching, um, we want our pitchers to all have opinions. Yeah. We want them to have opinions, but because exactly what you said, they've been told everything to do. They've never learned to have an opinion or make a judgment. So that's tough when you get into professional baseball and you're trying to teach that when they've never experienced it. And then they come into pro ball and this emphasis on analytics, you know, the minor league coaches are told to teach the analytic part of it. And sometimes they're forgetting about the most important part. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, you know, it's amazing to me, I'll give you an example. You have, uh, and uh, I've always ran into this, but I've seen it throughout baseball. In the minor leagues, you'll have really top prospects. I mean, sometimes guys have been given five million bucks. Um, they're top prospects. You expect them to pitch in the big leagues, and they're allowed to go out in the minor leagues. And because the emphasis isn't on accountability, you know, it, it it's it's about achieving these analytic things instead of the things that are important. So you'll have a, a guy go out there and give up 10 runs and he's your top prospect and he's pitched three innings. He's given up 10 runs trying to accomplish God knows what. Right. And, 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 and I don't really blame the pitching coaches because I think they're now they're being programmed to that's how you coach and develop. Right. They don't understand about accountability. They don't understand confidence and how you build confidence in a, in a player, how you don't allow that to happen to him, that the value of leaving a guy out there trying to accomplish something when he doesn't have it that day sets the guy back miles. Agreed. They don't understand that. And because of that, it's throughout baseball, you'll see these dramatic stuff that we never saw before. You never saw a guy giving up 10 runs, particularly if the guy was a prospect. Right. I mean, there's always lessons to learn. But sometimes, you know, when you're getting your brains beat in, there's no lessons to learn. Yeah. Because you're so messed up at that time. It's right. it's totally detrimental. Right. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, a couple of things popped into my mind when you were saying that. I'm just thinking about, you know, well, there, there's, there's two things. One is, if I look at the St. Louis Cardinals in 2023, one of the main issues that's going on with this team is we have a pitching staff of people who have just been led around by Yadier Molina for 20 years. And whatever finger he puts down, you throw. So there's no, you're talking about accountability. The accountability should always be the pitcher. There were several times on the broadcast in the last 20 years where the where the mantra in St. Louis is don't dare shake Yadi. And I would say, why not? Why, why not shake Yadier Molina? I mean, Yadi is was a great is I mean, he's one of the best catchers in the history of the game. I, I don't doubt that. I'm not, I wouldn't belittle him, but if, if there's any person in the world that knows more than Yachty about what pitch I should throw, it's me. Because, I mean, how do the seams feel? How do I feel? What, you know, what have I, I mean, I'm going to know more than he does. And and they don't. And so what's happened is Yachty's gone. And now we have pitchers trying to figure out who they are. At the big league level, they don't know who they are, which is crazy. And so so it's 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 catchers leading pitchers. It's coaches leading pitchers. Uh, Dave Ricketts. Uh, you guys know Dave Ricketts or knew Dave Ricketts, one of a dear friend of mine, and he was he was grumpy quite a bit, and uh, but we we loved him. 
uh, I said something positive about Dave Ricketts in the in my rookie season in the big leagues. I said, well, I'm really thankful for Dave's help in the bullpen. And I get to the park the next day and he brings me out in the, uh, out in the bullpen and he screams at me for 10 minutes. And, you know, nowadays he'd probably get, get arrested for bullying. I don't know, but he's just yelling at me saying, he say, don't you ever, don't you ever talk about me publicly again? He says, he says, when you pitch, it's you. It's not me. It's you. So if you pitch well, good. When you pitch poorly, I'm not taking the blame. <laughs> so, no, it's, right. and so, and, and, and honestly, he gave me a great lesson that day, which I never forgot. I had a chance to say it, by the way, at his funeral. I, I was able to speak at his, uh, at his funeral and told a couple of stories about how he impacted me. And that was one of them of just recognizing personal responsibility uh, as an athlete. And uh, it, because, again, if, you, if you're pointing fingers at somebody else, well, the analytic guy gave me the wrong info. The coach told me the wrong thing. My catcher put down the wrong sign. Well, that's a, that's a whole bunch of excuses that, you know, get in the way of competing, which also reminds me quickly, Ray Miller, and, you know, you guys know that. Ray Miller apparently had a, had a T-shirt. I saw Tito Landrum wearing it one year. It was a, a dear friend of mine, and it had a T-shirt, and it had excuses all over the shirt, <laughs> like, like the sun got in my eyes. It took a bad hop. Uh, and it was a T-shirt of excuses, and the whole idea was in the, on the back. It said no excuses, and I think that's the way you have to compete as a pitcher. Uh, Rick, Rick, know, I got a question for you. With um, you know, you're talking about leadership, you're talking about accountability. Yeah. You guys were sharing a story before the show, and I know Will's told a little bit of it before regarding uh, Gary Sheffield. That um, that peer accountability, that peer leadership. You, you yeah. got into the FCA, which I think is a great leadership component. You talked about coaching leadership, but we're where is that lacking today or is it lacking with that peer-to-peer -peer leadership uh, in the clubhouse on the field? I think it is lacking. The guys for me were Bruce Suter and Bob Forsh. I'll start with that. Both of those guys were in my head all the time and they, and they weren't in my head to lose me. They were in, in my head to make me a part of what they were doing. And, and they helped me uh, in ways that I, I'm, I'm so grateful for that a hall of famer and one and a Cardinal hall of famer at Bob Forsh would, uh, would take the time to, 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 to coach me up. And they did it in a thousand ways. And, and those kind of guys, I mean, the, the, I just don't see a lot of Bob Forshes around anymore. And, 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 and even Bruce Suter in terms of the way they would, they would lead. And, and I feel like there's, there's silos. Every player is a bit of a silo. Now he's got his own hitting coach or his own pitching coach. And he's got the other coach, got an analytic coach. He's got a sleep coach. He's got a guy. And, and it's almost like, you know, he's his own corporation. And, and I think it's, you know, with it, what, what Will was saying earlier, they're, they're just not uh, investing in players that are veteran guys that have the capacity to, to lead in that way. You know, I had, I had Steve Braun as a teammate. I had Mike Jorgensen as a teammate. I had Art Howe as a teammate. All those guys ended up being, uh, in my rookie season, they ended up being uh, coaches and managers and, and, and managers at the big league level, and two of them. And, and, the, the value of having a Steve Braun on your team or a Mike Jorgensen on your team is, is incredible. And I just think the economics of the game is uh, taking us in a different direction. Yeah, that's well put. Well, go ahead. You had yeah. something you wanted no, to say. No, just, you know, you know, you mentioned Ray Miller. He was my first minor league pitching coach. And, you know, he said, you know, you're going to be your own best pitching coach. And, you know, that was taking accountability for myself that, as a young starting pitcher, I watched the other team take BP every day. Do you ever see any pitchers that do that? 
Mm. Um, you know, you, you don't see it anywhere in the game because you start to understand other guys swing paths. Yeah. Totally. Understand who's a low ball hitter, who's a high ball, you know, so many little things that you took accountability for. And then that helped me as a pitching coach to teach my guys that, Hey, you know, when this happens, do this, you're, you, all you got to do is do this and you're going to get yourself back in to rhythm. And, you know, uh, Al Widmar, you were talking about, you know, I remember one time I, uh, I let the catcher call my call pitch and I gave up a home run to a guy who was hitting 180. And Al Widmar said, well, even a jackass can shake his head, Will. You know? <laughs> right. and, and, and he said, tomorrow in the paper, if you end up losing this game, the L's not going to be next to Huppert's name. It's going to be next to your name. Right. So, you know, and, and, and that's taking control. You talked about, uh, uh, you know, I was a Christian athlete as a young kid. My faith was a big part, but I was also very competitive. And, you know, we talk about it all the time on here. We have a generation of kids in the minor leagues that don't go five innings as starters, so they never get any wins, which give you self-esteem and confidence. Yes. And they have 70 RAs because they take them out after an inning that they gave up 10 runs. Right. And it's, and, and, and it's like, where are we developing the competitive, good teammate that wants to go out and win – not only for himself, but for his teammates that he cares about. And, you know, you know, they shuttle guys back and forth. So like, you know, basically the bullpens have become 15 man bullpens and it's whoever has options that they can move back and forth all season long. You know, you know, we used to have the same 23 guys all year long, you know, and, and, but, but we, we built great relationships and great teams so, you know, th- those are so many little things that, that are missing in the game. And none of them people now that run the game understand any of it, unfortunately. So at, at my minor league time, guys, and, and Nick Leva was my first manager, and I played for him a couple of years in the minor leagues. And what they would do is, you know, here's your 24 players or 25, whatever the number was. You go off to Little Rock, Arkansas or, or, or St. Petersburg, Florida, have a good summer <laughs> and and we didn't even actually have a pitching coach at the time. We had a roving no, coach. Right. Uh, and Bo Milliken was his name. And, and I'll never yeah, remember. Bo. Bo, Bo taught me. I can, and he, I won't say exactly how he said it because there was an adjective in there that I won't use. But one of my favorite, one of my other favorite pitching uh, philosophies that I heard Bo would say all the time, he says, just remember this, hitters can't hit. <laughs> and, and it's like, it's like such a, such a simple thing to say, but. But but it, but it was basically it was you are an offensive player, not a defensive player. You've got the ball; they can't hit. Don't worry about don't worry about what about them. So, and that was very profound to me. And you know, I, I think about you know Oliver Marmol is the manager of the Cardinals, and I have great respect for him. He's the youngest manager in the big leagues, and one of the things that he'll say is, "I get information from analytics, but I have to make decisions on what I see." And so I admire him for for that philosophy, and 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 the way I. The way I say it is, is, you know, if you're going to have brain surgery, you want a guy giving the greatest tools, the latest, greatest, uh, you know, innovative tools to help determine what is really going on in your brain. But I don't want that guy doing the brain surgery. I want the brain surgeon doing the brain surgery. Right. So, so 
that's the difference to me between analytics and the, and I'm not going to say the professional because that's demeaning the analytic people, but the analytic people are the tools people. The, the coach is the, is the wisdom guy that that's, that, that's the, that's the guy you have to follow. And he's going to use those tools the best ways possible. Uh, but, and again, ultimately player has to be a self coach too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the funny, that brings up another thing. How about, how about you look on a major league dugout and they got iPads? Yeah. Everybody's got an iPad. You know, <laughs> and nobody's watching the we, game. We watch the game. We watch the game. We learn from that. And pitchers sat together and they said, Oh man, look at that guy. He's 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 moving up in the box. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, he, oh, this guy's way out in front of that. That, yeah. that half, uh, half the time but, I think they're looking at a, an episode of Yellowstone or something on those iPads. Yeah, really it, it's like, why did that allow, why was that allowed to happen? Well, I mean, yeah. they've widened the plate so much now by allowing these things to happen that don't need to be done. They don't need to be. And I hear players say, oh, it's such a value. To, well, you know, what happened to Ted Williams? He didn't have that. Yeah. Well, if, if, if you need to see it on video, it means you're not seeing it live. Yeah. And, yeah. and seeing it live is more important. Ken Daly was a teammate of mine uh, with the Cardinals, and we had a string of four years together in the bullpen. And he and I both, he, he was the guy. I mean, I was just the second lefty in the bullpen, just a guy. I mean, thankful for my career, but it was not a, I was an average player, but he was above average and, and has, still has the, the best postseason numbers for a left handed pitcher in Cardinal history. He was lights out in the, in the World Series and playoffs in 85 and 87. And every time a team came into town, the Mets would come in. He and I would talk. Now, we were different. He threw hard, had a curveball. I had a sinker, slider, changeup, uh, and he threw a lot harder than me, and I pitched differently than he did. But but the, the two of us would get together, and our whole meeting, I didn't care about any – I didn't need a number. I didn't need anything. It was me and him talking, and we'd say, okay, what's Strawberry doing for you late, lately? He said, well, is he, he's opening up. Okay, so so be careful inside because he's trying to he's trying to bail out and yank and trying to hit one, hit one out to the right. So be careful with him in. Uh, doesn't react well to the, to a slider. Um, you know, and is he swinging at the first pitch? That's another thing we would ask. Is he, is he aggressive? And, and then the third question is, where do you go to get him out? That's the question we would always ask. Where do you go to get him out? So that's, that's kind of nonspecific, but generally speaking, when I would go to face Daryl Strawberry or Keith Hernandez or whoever it was in my mind, I knew I had a tendency for him kind of what to stay away from. I had kind of, what what pitch was he struggling with, and where am I going to get him out? And I had all that in my mind originally. And when I would when I would come into a game to pitch to, let's say Hernandez, my last four or five warmups in the bullpen were always situational. It, it's it's O and O on Hernandez, and I would have I would want signs from the catcher. Okay, sinker down the way. I'd throw the sinker. It's ball one. If it's ball one. It's ball one. Now what do I do? Well, now I'm going to come back with a slider away, and and I would think sequences. I would already play that sequence out warming up in the bullpen. I'm not just getting loose, seeing how hard I can throw the ball. I practiced pitching in the bullpen and tried to bring that to the game. Yeah. No, those, those are all such great points. I, uh, when I advanced for Jim Leland, um, one of the big things he wanted to know was the last thing you just said, push comes to shove. Where do we go with a fastball to get this guy out? Bases loaded game seven world series. Is it up and in? Is it low and away? Is it up and away? Where, you know, where do we go? And, and, you know, that's a valuable thing to know, you know, that this guy, you know, he is a good hitter, but you can get him out there just making a good pitch with your fastball. 
Right. Um, and, and if you're teaching command, then you have guys who can actually execute it as opposed to guys who just have high velocity and spin that throw pitches down the middle that are flat and give up home runs. And, I love Jim Leland. I love Whitey Herzog too. I, and they're not exactly the same guy, but they're both great leaders and yeah. we would have those meetings and, and, you know, Whitey would say, uh, you know, you, whatever you do, you know, you guys can't throw changeups to this guy. You got to throw hard fastballs inside. And then either him or Mike Rourke would come up to me after the meeting. He said, we weren't talking to you because <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. So, and I, what I learned from them, I learned this from Mike Rourke, uh, our pitching coach at the time in the eighties, I learned, if the guy's a, a um, Glenn Wilson's an example of this, they said, you know, you, he's a good low ball hitter, right-handed batter. Don't throw him down. You typically throw right-handers, you know, but he can really hit the ball down. And so Mike Rourke came up to me and just said, well, throw it lower. I mean, if you pitch up, you're not you. And, 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 and he, and he's going to swing at a pitch that's about shin high because he likes the ball down. That's where you'll get your ground ball on Glenn Wilson. And it was such a, uh, you know, I, 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 again, tailored advice for me, knowing me, and, and if I'm trying to throw 95 mile an hour fastballs up and in on him, it's not going to work. Yeah, it's 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 knowing yourself. Yeah, you know, and in, in knowing what you're capable of doing. It doesn't matter what analytics or another pitcher can tell you if you can't do do that. Right. You know, guys go, oh, I just give this guy breaking balls. Well, the guy might have a hammer, and nobody hits his breaking ball anyway. Yeah. And and then and yours is your third pitch. You know, like I, I don't have your breaking ball, so I might have to find another way of getting him yeah. out. You know, totally. you're exactly right. It, it's those are the conversations that aren't had. Yeah. You know, do this, throw the ball here. You know, when people, I had a guy tell me when we, you know, because I'm old school and they brought into the shifting yeah. and all that. And I, and I told the guy, I said, let me tell you something. And the guy goes, well, I can, you know, this is the analytics guy talking. He says, you know, he's always going to hit the ball there. That's where he's going to hit the ball. I said, even if I throw a change up, he goes, yep, he's going to hit the ball there. And I go, well, I'll tell you what, if I'm pitching and you got the second baseman up the middle and I got a left-handed hitter hitting, yeah, and I throw my good change up and he hits it through the hole there, yeah. I'm coming after you. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I well, said, I'm coming after you because I pitched. I threw 1,700 innings. I know what happens when you make a pitch and you know what the expectancy is and the guy's nowhere in sight. Yeah. I said, are you kidding me? And, you know, that's another thing is how about them pulling those cards out of their back pockets yeah, the right. infielder, yeah. instead of the infielders looking at the sign? They're so scared of stealing signs. Nobody can steal a freaking sign if you just do a, 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 a small sequence and shift in the middle of an bat. You don't need to have cards and numbers and it's so ridiculous. And these people come up with this paranoia. Hey, sure. Houston did it, but they did it with a freaking camera. Yeah. Right. You know, they didn't do it by stealing a, a second guy on second base, stealing it. So, so I got two quick things to say here. What one is, and I say this on the air all the time, a pinch hitter comes in, in the eighth inning, you've got a reliever in whoever it is. And the relievers coming in to face, the right-handers come in to face the right-hander, and they pinch hit the left-hander. So, I mean, classic, right? So the right-hander comes in, the left-hander comes in, which you should know already out in the bullpen, that's what's going to happen. So the lefty comes up, and there's a mound visit to tell the pitcher about that hitter. And my thought is, you've been at the ballpark for eight hours already, and you don't – I mean, 
and he doesn't know how he's going to pitch this guy. I mean, that's what the meetings. I don't need a card. You just say it. What do you, what do you have a bench? What do you have a bullpen coach for? What he's what the one you, before yeah. you come in. You're going to face the left yeah. hand. You have an hour long meeting before every game too, so you know you yeah. should know what it is. Now I'm 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 going to I'm going to take a risk here that, that you guys might hang up on me after what I say, but because because uh, uh, you'll you'll find this interesting at, at Virginia. I was actually an engineer at Virginia and math was kind of my thing. And so uh, for my senior thesis, uh, I was able to, uh, this was in 1981. uh, I decided to write a a thesis on baseball numbers and didn't know the word analytics at the time or sabermetrics or any of that. So I created a baseball algorithm to, uh, to be used to predict Cy Young Award winners and MVPs and and and, and the whole and, and it was kind of an idea of bringing numbers. So I'm kind of part of the enemy here. I actually did my thesis on that. Now you know it's not like grade A number one. You know what we have today, but my thought was that numbers could be valuable. So I still do think that. So I, yeah. I mean I I believe that there's a value in that. And so when people say that I'm old school and I don't care about numbers, it's like I I, I literally don't know a person that likes numbers more than me. So, yeah. so it's not that, but it's the application of that because you, you learn in, in when computer cro- programming classes, you learn garbage in garbage out the yeah. G I G O. I mean, you can make an algorithm, say whatever you want it to say, including Mark, what you said about the analytic guy telling you that they'll never hit the ball over there. Well, what that is, is that is wrong math because yeah. what that guy does not understand is they never hit the ball over there because of the way you're defending at the time, if you defend differently, they are going to hit differently. And, and and people, analytic people, don't always believe that a hitter can hit a ball either to the left side or the right side of the field on purpose. Well, guess what? They can. Yeah, I mean, maybe they can. Can. And, they can. And not, not all of them, but they can. So yeah. you are using past results to predict future, and you're changing a variable, and you think that those results are going to stay the same, and they're not. That's bad math is what that is, in my opinion. Yeah. Rick, I got, I've got a question for you. I, I have an analytics background also, so I'm a former player and coach and, and also part of that that side. But I did it to kind of thumb my nose at the analytics world. And, and you hit on a great point there, and I, I, want, I want you to <clears throat> kind of talk about this from a broadcasting standpoint too. But – analytics, the, the biggest misnomer is that analytics is supposed to be an absolute number and it's supposed to be math where just as you articulated, it's a story, right? It's, it's something to bring about conversation, something to bring about dialogue, something to engage as you guys are doing right here with, with Mark and Will engage conversation, debate story to decide what that expert sees on the field and that let them make the decision. Talk, talk to that point as now you're in the broad, you know, the broadcast booth doing color and, and uh, calling games. Talk to that now. You you have to. I'm sure you get an analytics thrown at you just as much as the players. How, how is it story as well? Opposed to- yeah, no, that's that's a great question, and, and it's inter- interesting that I found that I, you know I've been I've done both TV and radio. On TV, numbers are easier to deal with because you can put graphics up there and you can show some things where the numbers will tell part of that story. I'm doing almost exclusively radio now. I do some pre and post on TV uh, also occasionally, but. On radio, no one wants to listen to a radio and hear a number. No one. <laughs> I mean, no one. I mean, I, I could say a guy has a 970 OPS and, and you're driving down the road and you're thinking, who cares? What, what is an OPS? I mean, I don't. I mean, or you might. It just doesn't click. What you want on the radio is adjectives. And uh, and so you want you want storylines. You want 
You want kind of a description of the shortstop going deep in the hole and making a jump throw to the bag at second base. You don't want to hear, you know, I mean, I, you don't even want to hear exit velocity is 99 or 100. You want to hear he hit the ball hard because that when you say he hit the ball hard, I can make that picture in my mind. When you say he hit it 103, I have to translate it into my mind an extra step. But on TV, you can use those numbers more. Uh, and early in my broadcasting career, you know, so there, there's a narrative. The narrative we would all say in coaching is you want a shortstop to have, you know, shortstop needs to be athletic and have great range. That's part of what that position is. So there was an article I read early in my broadcasting where an analytics guy made the statement using out of zone plays and analytics and using, and, and he drew the conclusion with numbers and showed it with numbers that there's value to a shortstop having range. And my thought was, of course, I mean, now maybe he's showing that to an audience that wouldn't get it otherwise. So that I give them that. So I think there, I do have to straddle the fence a little bit because some fans um, care about that more than others. If you're in your twenties, you might, if you, if you grew up in video games, if you're in your eighties, you don't, I mean, so, so there's not a homogeneous audience either on radio or on TV. So you have to be first enough in it, but in both directions. But the point is, the the analytics basically, in my mind, tells baseball people what they already know, but it in a different way. But it communicates to non-baseball people who like numbers and see it that way, what's happening, and maybe it's increased some of the audience. So I think that's part of it. But and 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 maybe it confirms to the baseball people. And you know, if you're a coach and somebody confirms that, yeah, you know, I, I don't I think um you know, I think the shortstop, it really has good range. And then you could say, well, yep, he is. He's a plus two, plus two defender. And I can show you that, that what we, what you see is correct. Maybe that's validating. And, may, and maybe that's a good reason for it, too. But it's almost impossible to get into all of that when you're doing a game on radio because you want people to fall in love with the game. And, you know, not many people in the world fall in love with numbers. No, I, I use this phrase all the time. I'll pass it back to Mark and Will, but... You know, I, I can appreciate it just as you, you spoke, as long as it's a narrative and it's about words, but I don't want to get so caught up in the science and the math that I lose sight of the awe that baseball brings yes. to my my eyes. So Yes. So, no doubt. Mark, I'll pass back to you. Mark, I will pass back to yeah, you. Yeah, I'll, I'll weigh in on it. You know, it's funny that uh, – a lot of the younger people, I, I think they look at us, and Clint Hurdle phrased it well, that we're Grandpa Simpson yelling at the clouds, um, <laughs> living <laughs> living in the past. And we're not. Uh, we love the game. We see how physically gifted some of these kids are. And I find myself disappointed that we're not playing the game better because we care about all the wrong things. Yeah. We care about – uh, velocity and spin rate and spin axis, as opposed to just making a good pitch and getting outs. Care about swing and miss too much. We care about home runs and have too much swing and miss on the other side. We don't care enough about command that these kids are so gifted now. If they knew how to play the game the way we kind of learned, what a beautiful game it would be. You know, if we, if we started teaching again instead of just teaching uh, end results, shiny objects, teach them how to get the shiny object 
and all that takes care of itself. But there's other parts of the game that are just as important. Like, you know, Rick, you're watching the games every day. I'm sure you're appalled at base running in the big leagues. Yeah, yeah, and, and, yeah. yeah. Cut, cut off some relays, inability to execute and move a runner over in a big situation. Uh, outfield jumps because nobody does what John Shelby used to do is take balls off the bat every day. Right. Right. Uh, just just a lot of little things. And, you know, Cal Ripken Sr. said it well, you know, many, many years ago, my first instructional league. If we take care of all the little things, we won't have any big problems. Yeah. So give another, another example of that would be pitchers, just cardio in general, and, and, and which which I think it's interesting that uh, Terry Collins is now doing some work. And so is Jim Riggleman with the Marlins. Yeah. Tom Lawless very good friend of mine is also coaching with them and working with them. And one of the things that Tommy told me in spring training was that Terry Collins came in and said, okay, so when do we run here in spring training? This is the minor league camp. And they said, oh, we don't do that. And he said, well, wait a minute. We're baseball players. That's all you do in baseball is run. You run in the outfield, pitchers run, pitchers need to have cardio. We're going to run. So it, and I, so I do think that there's a a pendulum swinging back in the other direction. And, and I think that's good. And, And, Look, strength training has been great for athletes to throw harder and to hit. I mean, I, I'm not against that. And I think it's, you know, the, understanding how your body works so you can, you know, maintain it over 162 games. All that, all that's good. They're into nutrition and sleep patterns and all that stuff. It's all good. But, but the reality is cardio still matters in baseball. And I think with the pitch clock, one of the things we're seeing is guys they can't fatigue quickly. They can't pit, right. They can't pitch at the pace that that the game was played in, in the eighties and the nineties. And before that, without having to step off the back of the mound and call on a timeout. And, and because their, their cardio is behind their strength. And, uh, and, I, and that's a problem. I think I've seen five pitchers run foul poles in the yeah. last couple of years. I mean, that's still a big part of, of, of the game, you know, doing PFP, doing baseball movements on the field probably would keep you healthier too. Than being remember, just in a gymnasium all the time. Remember pickups? Remember pickups yeah, after you pick ran? Yeah, yeah Mark. I, 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 because so because it, not, it was yeah. flexibility. It yeah. was your core. Yes. You know, I don't know. I guess maybe by the time you guys started playing, you were about 10 years behind me. But we never had we never had rib pulls and, yeah. and, and all that stuff. We never had that. And I always think, is it fatiguing a muscle on a certain type of core lift that all of a sudden, you know, you know, when you fatigue a muscle, yeah. it'll tighten up. It's easier to pull. Yeah, it, um, it very well could be. I don't, know, well, I don't know, but people should analyze why these things are happening that never happened before. Well, and, I, I, and I think that's true. What well, one of the other things I see is, is a lot of young kids because they have food in the clubhouse all day long now at the minor league level and they don't run, they don't run the bases, but there's a lot of kids that are too heavy that are playing baseball right now. They're not athletic. They're not so, moving the, 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 the way they should be moving for young kids in a, a, a ball. And, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, that kid weighs 230 pounds. He's six feet tall. He's 17 years old, 18 years old. I'm going, that's not good. So I, I'm I'm a runner. So I mean I've always liked I've enjoyed running even post uh, post career. I just still do that. And and th- there's benefits from that um, psychologically. I would even say spiritually for me. But there's benefits. 
you know, there's benefits, uh, I think, uh, socially, it's been it's been great for me. But but I think as a pitcher, one of the benefits of is understanding your own breathing and your own kind of ability to control your body and, you know, through breathing and, and cardio is part of that. And you learn it by doing it, of course. So the situation gets tense. you got more adrenaline going. You know, how are you breathing as a pitcher? Is any, you know, you thinking about that? I mean, if you, and the, the reality is that the more you're controlling your breath and your, and your own body awareness, that's one thing Dan O'Dowd, as, as you guys know, used to, used to preach at me when I was coaching with, with you guys is I want to know what kind of body awareness this guy has. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and so, but body awareness, but I think cardio is part of that. So if I miss with that fastball down and away, I, I'm in a spot psychologically and physically where I can make an adjustment quicker than, than walking off the back of the mound, catching my breath and getting back up on the mound and throwing a pitch again. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, It's I got one more question. You know, you see these all the time. I'm sure Ricky, you see it all the time where, you know, hitters get hot and, you know, there's a lot of home runs now. And, you know, I used to, even when I was coaching, you know, they used to have ESPN on every night after the games and I'd be laying there in bed and I'd look and they'd have the highlights and it was always highlights of home runs. Right. Always. Right. Oh yeah. And, you know, never, you know, there were never highlights of a guy striking a guy out. It exactly. was always home runs. Yeah. So I started thinking, I'm going, look where that pitch is. It's right down the middle. They'd throw 10 home runs and 10 of them would be waist high. Right. Exactly. And I go, I go, well, Yeah. You know, if you don't make good pitches, they hit them out. And I used to tell my pitchers, I said, guys, I said, I know you guys do what I do. You watch ESPN at night after the game and you're sitting there in your hotel room and you're seeing all these bombs. I said, look where the pitches are. Yeah. I said, realize that good pitches get guys out, that those home runs are hit mostly on bad pitches. And and I can tell you. I know more than anybody because I coached a team that gave up the most home runs in a game in the history of baseball. Is that right? The Baltimore Orioles against the Toronto Blue Jays. And a lot of the guys on Toronto were my friends that I had played with because I'd been with Toronto. And now I'm coaching. And we gave up 10 home runs. And one of the 10 was a knee high. And that was George Bell. Yeah. Hit it out on a ball down. It was pretty good pitch. All the other nine were waist high. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Uh, Hank Peters of the general manager, he gave me a tape of it and he named it the barrage. <laughs> <laughs> I still have it, but it, it that's what I don't understand. You know, sure. I see judge hit a home run on a pretty good pitch away, but it's in, it's in New York yeah, where they got the up. short port. I mean, it's a pop-up 318 but, foot pop-up. Yeah, but most guys, most guys are hitting their home runs right down the middle, like thigh to belt. It's unbelievable. And people are giving these guys all the credit in the world for hitting these home runs on bad pitches. Well, I, I know I know you know the name Mike Burkbeck. He was a yeah, he was yeah, Berkey. Match. So Berkey and I were in a hotel room. I you know, we're both kind of on the way down from the big leagues and we're playing with guys that are on the way up. And Berkey and I sat in a hotel room, you know, over a you know, the, the, and I, I so loved being back in the minor leagues again. Yeah. I mean, I love the big leagues, of course, but, you know, we're sitting in a hotel room, not a Ritz, and we've got a pizza and we're using the box as our, as our plate. And, you know, that's what you did in the minor leagues. And we sat there and talked for two hours about yeah. what does it mean to have good stuff? 
Yeah. When a pitcher says this guy's got good, or a coach says this guy's got good stuff, or a fan says it, or whoever, a broadcaster says he has good stuff. And the two of us, you know, we we debated it for a long time. And, you know, when it can, comes down to it, is good stuff is as much to do with your ability to command, not just throwing it for strikes, but throwing it for strikes within the strike zone. And, yeah. and that's part of stuff. I mean, yeah. stuff is not just raw stuff. It is, it is a guy that can actually pitch as well. And that's kind of the conclusion we came to. But that's what you're talking about, Mark. If you, you can throw the ball as hard as you want. I don't, guys are throwing 100 miles an hour down the middle of the plate and giving up home runs with it. So it's not velocity only. It's got to be something else, and that's what it is. You know, Berkey was uh, very, very cerebral. He went on to be a really good college pitching coach, and I think he was still doing it up until a couple of years ago, I know. Um, but he gave me a great exercise as a pitching coach where, you know, on a road trip where you would sit down and meet with all your pitchers and you would give them a situation to work through. Um, yeah. and, and it was, uh, at the time Oakland, you know, had the bash brothers and it was okay. Well, you know, you're pitching against the ace. Tony Phillips is on first base and you got to go through McGuire and Canseco. What are you going to do? So, I asked Charlie Nagy. Charlie Nagy just sits there and goes, well, you know, got to make sure I hold hold Phillips close and I'm going to throw my slider and hopefully get a ground ball double play. And then you would ask somebody who was struggling and they're sitting in a hotel room in Harrisburg and they start squirming in their seat. Right. And and, and they're scared to death and they're going, well, you you know, I, I never faced McGuire. We, you know, so, you know, you, you know, what's he do? And I go, well, you know, I know you watch ESPN. It's a lot of home runs on, on, on hanging breaking pitches and fastballs out over the plate. Well, well, I, I don't know what to do. And I go, well, you know, that's why you got a five ER. <laughs> I, 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 I got over that quickly. Mike Schmidt's my example of that. When I was in pitching a veteran stadium as a rookie, Mike Schmidt was my guy like the Bash brothers. So I'm on the mound and Mike Schmidt comes to the plate. And I'm standing there on the mound. I look at him, and I'm thinking, that's Mike Schmidt who at the time. <laughs> was the, so I literally walked off the back of the mound, and I may have even said it audibly, like, I'm pitching to Mike Schmidt. And then I, <laughs> I, had, to, I had to kind of deal with it. And then I kind of, you know, there's a lot that goes on inside the brain of a pitcher, clearly, or should, anyway. So I dismissed that thought, and I said, okay, do what you do and get him out. Strike him out on a changeup. And and. And that was foundational for me, too, to realize that, okay, big league hitters can't hit a good changeup either. And so, you know, again, you're certainly going to be careful with them, but you can't you can't pitch to the name on the back no, or the no. or the stats on the baseball card. And and no. that's what you're talking about. Maybe that's why Nagy was such a good pitcher. Yeah. Table. You know, I always used to say, you know, the, the guys in Cooperstown made out seven out of ten times. That's right. You know, let's let's go after the seven out of ten, you know, and. You know, you tip your hat if he hits a good pitch, and if you make good pitches, most of the time you are going to get him out. So, you know, build that confidence, you know. Uh, set people up to be successful. And I don't think we're doing that right now at all. 100%. Yeah. Guys, we kept, we've kept Rick for almost an hour now. Any parting shots or anything you want to leave the audience with today with him? Rick, thanks so much for giving us that amount of time. Oh, you bet. Well, you know, I honestly – my, my last statement that I would make would be how cool it is to be with you guys and to have this kind of brotherhood of, of baseball people. And, 
you know, I, I always, it sounds a little parochial when you say it, or it sounds elitist and that's not really what it means. But when, when you're talking about baseball with baseball people, uh, I, I always say I'm with my people. I mean, I'm with people that just, you know, I connect with. Now those people might be Dominicans. They might be 20 years older than me. They might be 40 years younger than me. They might be, it doesn't matter. It's not about, it's not about, um, you know, age or ethnicity or, you know, socioeconomic, none of that, it, it, or, or achievements. It's none of that. It's just people that get it and the people that get you. And that's why it's just been a pleasure for me to connect with you guys. I think that's great. Mark or Willie, you got any, any parting shots to our audience? No, I think, I think of the insights that Ricky has from a guy that's been watching the game day in and day out for that many years um, is really valuable. And your, your background in, in not only in pitching, but, you know, analytics and your view of the world, uh, I think it really adds to the insight for our listeners. Yeah. What a, uh, what a great guest. I'm glad I thought of having Ricky on here. Oh, I know. <laughs> no, it was great. We'll have to have you back. It was phenomenal for our audience. I mean, we came yeah, full circle no, on. We'd love to have side. you back, Rick. This, yeah, you bet. I'd be glad to do it. Yeah. yeah. This goes oh. by quick, and, and it's probably my – most enjoyable hour each week that I have watching bad baseball is to be on here and talking good baseball with our people. <laughs> yeah, understood. That's I'm with you. you. Got to change, change the byline of our network. Real voice of the game. It's our people. Our <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it. We'll tag it today. I'll take care of that. We've. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank our close to twenty thousand subscribers now. I know Rick's appearance here will jack that up quite a bit too. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review so we can battle the podcast world analytics just like we do in baseball. We can keep providing you great content like we do every week here on A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. We're on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, and Stitcher. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I was following the Facebook leads as we were talking on the show, and I talked it into existence. We're up over 670 questions I have to answer today, so I'll get busy with that after. 72 countries now, grassroots to MLB front offices. We're just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And as our audience asks me to read every time for them to our new listeners, just prepare to embrace some uncomfortable truths about baseball and life as this program, like all of our others, just has no time for the comforting lies. We hit you straight between the eyes out there. So, Rick, thanks so much for being a great guest here on episode 214 on the network. And Mark and Will, as always, you guys deliver every week. You guys throw, you guys throw complete so games every week. Rick, Rick, remember to stay on after the music. Yeah, you bet. Will do.